Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, um, last week we started something that I feel, I feel like the only way to describe it, I feel like we had a family conversation. <laughs> It was like a family talk around the table, but it was really holy and beautiful, and I, I expect the same um, today and, and the weeks to come. Uh, for those of you here last week, I really felt that as we go into the new year, I wanted, to, I wanted to leverage the new year, and what I mean by that is this is often a time, at least on an individual perspective, where we begin to think about goals and plans and resolutions and things like that, and as a church, I felt it was appropriate as our mind is thinking like that as a house to just put before us our vision again and who we are and speak into our foundations. Um, and we, we kind of labored as to the importance of vision last week, but it, it produces unity and clarity and, and allows us to, uh, to join in. And I, I was, this week I was thinking of a scripture, 2 Timothy 1.14, where Paul tells Timothy, he says, by the Holy Spirit that's indwelling you, by the Holy Spirit that indwells you, he says, guard, protect, the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. And I, I feel that's a really accurate picture of what God is doing this opening month, that God is inviting us to guard and protect and steward the, not just any deposit, but a good deposit. It is a precious deposit that the Lord has given us, and, and we don't take that lightly. And guarding is not necessarily because there's like malicious things happening but if we're not careful, as we said last week, we can just get busy and doing a lot of good things. That's not the ultimate thing that God has called us. And I find that vision just tends to leak, right? If you don't keep vision before you, you can start chasing after other things. And, uh, and so we want to guard this by keeping the vision before us. As we go into a new year with new challenges, new breakthroughs, things that we're not, that's even on our radar, one thing will be consistent. We will stay true to what the Lord has sovereignly called us to be which was about two and a half years ago through COVID, which is another story of how he really brought us into this. Um, but that's what I want to do today. And uh, specifically, uh, Habakkuk 2.2 I shared last week, which says that you are to take the vision and make it plain. Write it so that those who read it can run with it. Are we able to pull that up? And if not, it's okay. Is that cool? Yeah, so I just want to put up something that we put up last week. It's just a simple graphic, but we've taken uh, Habakkuk 2.2 literally. <laughs> I didn't write it out in a paragraph form, but just put up a graphic that would help us to have visual. We've made it plain. And, and what we went over last week is that, sorry if you can't see over there. Um, what we went over last week is just that top banner that the Lord has called us as a defining mark of this house. It's not the only thing, but it is the one thing. And we'll talk about that today. It's the one thing, meaning it's the chief thing, that we would be a house of prayer. And last week we talked about Matthew 21. Jesus comes into his house he drives out all the, all the activity that he sees there, and then he declares it is written, my house should be a house of prayer. And what we looked at is that Matthew 21 is really set in a, in a deeper storyline. There's a larger meta-narrative that was at play that spans from Genesis to Revelation, which is that God has always desired a resting place on the earth with his people. That's, how, that's why he created the cosmos. It would be a place where God would rest with man. And ever since Genesis all the way through, God has desired that his temple, which is what we are in the new covenant, would be a place that he would rest, dwell. It's where his people would meet with him. So we're just not content to settle for all the peripheral things and lose out on actually drawing life from him. We gather around the Lord. So that's what we shared last week. Uh, and then on this left side, there's like this threefold vision of the prayer room. It's ministry to the Lord, which is what we're going to talk about today. It's personal revival as we gather around the Lord and day and night, worship and prayer. We do this Thursdays and Fridays. We're getting changed in the process. And then the last thing is it's unto city revival. We want to see an awakening in Mastic Beach and on this island. And as we'll look and see, it's changed people that change cities. <laughs> and it's worship intercession often are the two instruments that the kingdom of God comes riding in on. So we value every other ministry uh, in a massive way, but there's something very, very unique for us in what it means to be a house of prayer. So today we're going to talk about this first of this threefold vision, ministry to the Lord. All right, you guys with me? So let's go to Isaiah 56, and now we can just, we can run with this. Isaiah 56. So 
So we're going we're gonna to guard and protect what God has entrusted to us. Now, I'll get into Isaiah 56, the exact text I want. For those of you who've been around, hopefully some of these things are becoming familiar, but repetition is good and it's, it's, it's needed, especially when we're talking about such critical things for us as a body. Um, but before we jump into these two verses in Isaiah 56, I want to just make sure we're on the same page when we talk about ministry to the Lord. Uh, I was going to maybe share this a little bit later, but I felt like to share right now, and this is really, really important. So when we talk about being a house of prayer, we want to see personal revival, we want to see city revival, but there's something that comes before that that is the driving factor of why we gather morning and night to worship, intercede, hear his word. And it's, it's called ministry to the Lord. It's the banner over this house. <laughs> when we think of ministry, often what comes up is ministry to man. And I can't say this clear enough. If we don't minister to man, we're not, we're not a church. <laughs> we're not a new covenant church. We need to minister to man. I love ministry to man. But ministry to man is commonplace. Ministry to the Lord is nearly extinct. And yet it is our first ministry. It's the ministry that gives life to every other ministry that we do. <laughs> And it is the banner over this house. And it is our heart that every single person would join in seeing that you have something to offer God. <laughs> you have something to offer God. This is, I pray that our children would grow in this revelation, that they would learn from a young age how to draw near to God and bless his heart and offer up thanksgiving and praise and use their body. Every, every part of uh, everything that God has made is an instrument to bless him. This is why we dance. This is why... Guys, this will give you context as to why worship looks like it does when we come in. Because we're not just singing songs based on what man desires. Oh, let's not go too long or do this because man may not like that. We are not gathering primarily for the needs of man. We gather to meet the desire of God. This is why we gather. So if the Lord says, sing one song and move on, we'll, we'll move on. If the Lord says, just sing that, sing that, then that's what we'll do. If that's what he likes, then that's where we're going to stay. And when you understand that, you understand why, why we do what we do. We don't always get it right, but it's not so much. I've heard it said this way. It's not so much that we're spontaneous, because that sounds like you're unprepared. Like Caesar and these musicians, they're really, really gifted. They prepare. But what's really happening is when God comes, we're responding to relationship. We're responding to a person that's really in the room, that you can sense when his presence comes strong. He says, I like this. This, I like what you're doing right here. <laughs> Stay right here. Like he's alive, God. He's alive and, and we worship in that way. So this is for everyone. And a big part is that this is not to just be done alone. I mean, we, your private time in the Lord is so essential. It's so essential. If all we have is public, something would be off. But the same thing could be said if all we have is private with the Lord and we don't know how to do this together, something is equally off. We are meant to come together like this. Amen? Listen, I, we, we've preached a lot on the personal time with the Lord, so I'm not, I don't want to misunderstand, devalue that. But David said, not zeal for my quiet time. David said, zeal for the, the house. That's a corporate setting. David said, it's zeal for the body. It's zeal for the people of God to be before you. So we, 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 we learn to shut the door with God one-on-one, -on -one, but there's a zeal in us for a community to come together in this, right? Um, so I don't know about you, but a few years ago, ministry to the Lord was a foreign word. Again, like, tell me, put me in a room and tell me to minister to man, and I know what to do, right? <laughs> and that's good. We want to be trained and equipped. I know, how, wait on the Lord, and then what, you know, based on the needs, find scriptures, pray, whatever it may be. But a few years ago, put me in a room and say, minister to the Lord, and I would say, what do I do? Yet the scriptures over and over call us as new covenant priests to do this. It's like, what do we do? We just sit in a room and just sit quietly. It's like, no, no, no. We're growing as a house how to really move the heart of God. And enters courts, right? Thanksgiving and praise. This is things that we've learned to come in with Thanksgiving and praise. And again, dance and all these things are your instruments. Like, do you know that there's a type of praise in Hebrew that deals with just the, the plucking of instruments? That you can praise God without any words, but when Rob or Ray, and we talk about this, when they just begin to pluck a chord, God is blessed by that. Like what, like I'm not speaking about things to make our quiet time more bearable today. We're not trying to just bear God. God is not bearable. God is glorious. God is awesome. If anything, we're bearable. And thank God, God bears with us. But God is awesome. What's happened is we've bought into lies that Satan's really exciting and God's really boring. And we just try to endure prayer meetings with this boring God. God is infinite glory and his beauty and he's awesome and he's alive 
and we can connect with him and we can actually move his heart. And if these realities get in us, it's, man, it goes from bearable to like, God, you got to pull me out of this. <laughs> you got to remind me that I got to go do something else as well. And this leads to the overflow. So let me, let me share one other thing and we'll read Isaiah 56. Ministry, here's where I think there can be some confusion is that when the Bible speaks of ministry to man, when we minister to another person, what we're doing is we're supplying a deficiency. You put whatever definition you want there, but you're meeting a need, right? Whatever it is, you're ministering to the homeless, to marriage, to the lost, and sharing the gospel. There is a need, and you're supplying that need. You follow me? Where that gets a little bit difficult is then when the scriptures say that we're called to minister to the Lord, you say, hold on. Are you saying God has a need and we're supplying a deficiency in God? And the answer to that is a resounding no. <laughs> this is the mystery. This is the mystery of ministering to God is that the one who needs nothing desires something from you. It is not that God has a need, but he has desire. When we minister to God, we're not supplying a lack, but he does have a desire for something from you. For the scripture says God is love. <laughs> He's not this dead stoic being. He's love. He's alive. And in love, God created us out of that love to love him back. There's actually desire built within God because he's love. And when you respond to that, that first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you move the uncreated one's heart. Little old you and me, <laughs> like jacked up lives, come in to a gathering like this, and no matter how weak of a reach you may give God, no matter how weak of a glance it is, the Bible says, Song of Solomon says that you ravish his heart with one glance. What would happen if we actually recognize that when I give the smallest step towards God and just say, I thank you, Lord, glory to you, God, that God's heart is delighted over what you're bringing to him. We're marked by this. I, I'm gripped by this. <laughs> God, do you know that God has desire? You know, Jesus said to his father in John 17, verse 24, when he prays, he says, Father, I desire. Wow. <laughs> God expressing desire. What did he desire? He said that those that have been given to me, that I may be with them. So when we build the house of prayer, we're, we're responding to his zeal to be with us. We're responding to his love. We're, we're responding to his desire. Amen. All right. So ministry to the Lord is not meeting a need in God. It's responding to his desire to love him. So let's look at Isaiah 56. And specifically, I want to read verses uh, 6 and 7. So I'll give you a sec. Isaiah 56. And I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. And this is a text, again, for some, especially behind the scenes when we do trainings. I know we've been here before, but I'm... I trust there will be a freshness and a life on this that we've, we haven't touched. And for those of you who haven't heard it, this will be really important. Um, this text, the reason why I'm choosing this text, there's many scriptures that speak about us ministering to God. But this one specifically I'm highlighting because this is what Jesus was quoting in Matthew 21 when he says, It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, right? The back end of that, you make it a den of robbers. He quotes Jeremiah there. But the first part, it is written... My house should be a house of prayer. He's quoting Isaiah 56. Now remember what we said, that Israel loves Isaiah, and rightfully so. They probably quoted Isaiah. They admired Isaiah. But when Jesus came into the house, he said, you may know Isaiah's words, but you're actually not living out what Isaiah uh, has said. So this is really important that we don't want to just say, yeah, we're a house of prayer because we love prayer. But what is actually at the heart of, of this type of gathering? So let's read. I'm going to read these two verses, and then we'll come back and, and just unpack it. Verse 6, it says, And the foreigners, which means the nations or the Gentiles, non-Jews, this is now everyone. This is a prophetic blessing that's flowing because of the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. This is a fruit of Jesus dying on the cross. That now the foreigners, the nations who join themselves to the Lord. That's marriage language. A husband shall leave his household and be joined to his wife. It's marriage and priestly language. They will join themselves to the Lord to do what, it says? To minister to him. And we will be joined to the Lord to minister to God. To love the name of the Lord. To love the name of the Lord. What did we do this morning? We love the name of the Lord. We bless the name of the Lord. This is what priests do. 
And now, because the veil has been torn open, all of you in Christ are priests. You get to draw near and bless the name of God or love his name. So let's read it again. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant. Now this is what Jesus was quoting, specifically verse 7, when he went in in Matthew 21. It says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. He says, Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And here's, here's what he quoted. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is what Jesus quotes. And we see a core reality that should be operating in Jesus' house. So if he calls it a house of prayer, and at the heart of it is ministry to the Lord, then I want my life to come under Jesus' desire and definition for his house. Although we have many other ministries, this was at the staple of it. But hear me on this. To truly appreciate the privilege and the cost for all nations, for the foreigners to be brought in, you must see Isaiah 56 in the context of Isaiah 53. And I feel always led to just make that point because Isaiah 56 is a blessing that is only possible because of 53. And what's 53? It's known as the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 is about one who will come and do for Israel and ultimately the Gentiles what they could not do for themselves. But the way that he will achieve restoring man back to their God is that he will suffer in their place. And so Isaiah 53 lists out a catalog of sufferings that Christ will go through. He'll be pierced, bruised, crushed. Like our peace is a result of him being chastised. Our healings because he was striped. And then it says, ultimately, the author of life will be cut off from the land of the living. But why did he do that? And what does it lead to? <laughs> Well, you have 54, 55, but in 56, we see that at the heart of Jesus being bruised, pierced, crushed, is so that his house would not just be open to one tribe, for this was never meant to be just for the Levites, but this is God's heart for all of humanity, that the door would be swung wide open, that all the foreigners, the nations, you and me, through the blood of Jesus, could be washed, cleansed, be filled with the Spirit, and be joined to Jesus that you could come and minister to God and love him as you were intended to love him. This is at the heart of it. The, the, our first ministry, based off of Jesus' suffering, right from this text, not my thoughts, not my feelings from the word of God, is ministry to the Lord. Our first ministry is not ministry in small groups. It's not ministry, men's group, women's group. It's not ministry even to the lost, as important as that is. It's not preaching ministry. Our first ministry is unto the Lord. But my fear is that our first ministry has actually become a forgotten ministry. That actually what Jesus primarily died for, a people to come in to bless him regularly, that's the last thing. If we don't believe it, go, 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 go behind the scenes of conversations. Check focus of churches, initiatives. Check budget lines. Check all of these things. And what you will find is that oftentimes I think Jesus is the least ministered to in his own house. That houses are built for the needs of man, but the loneliest man in the room is often the one whose house it is, which is Jesus Christ. And I believe God is asking, who will come and minister to my heart? Will there be a people that, yes, from that place you will meet many needs, but it will have grace on it, it will have life, it will have anointing. But will there be a people who will actually respond to, the, to what I asked for? Who will give me the reward of my suffering? Like I've heard it said this way, um, we need to be careful that we don't put the work of the Lord above the Lord of the work. <laughs> he, he's, he's priority. He's everything. <laughs> this is why we, we do what we do. We gather to bless the Lord. We say, God, this is, this is our first ministry. And I believe from Isaiah 56 that God is issuing an invitation. I believe God is issuing an invitation that is for all people to come near to him and bless him. Like God is issuing an invitation to come off of the outside. Like the peripheral things where we've just been bound by busyness and actually start tasting living water. Like the days of just being content with broken cisterns, Jeremiah 2, but we have forsaken living water. Meaning we're, we're, we're content with structures, but they're broken structures. Meanwhile, we, there's no living water. It's, it's building without cloud. <laughs> 
We want you kind of glory. We don't just want the building. We want glory. We want God. And I know that I'm speaking to a people that want that. And I believe that God is anointing a generation. God's anointing a generation that's responding to this invitation. You're seeing it all over this nation. In different places, there's houses of prayer emerging. And here's the beauty is that there's not a set model. This isn't about a model, but it's, there is a DNA that grips all of them, which is we want to, first and foremost, be near to him. We want to bless him. We want to love him. We want to gather and say, God, before we ask, was man content? We want to ask, God, were you pleased? <laughs> Did what we offer today please you? And I want you to know, like, I felt the pleasure of God this morning. Like, that's why, that's why you sense, you're like, man, this feels different. What's, it's the pleasure and presence of God. And he, he, he's attracted to a place that says, God, I know you're going to take care of every need, but we're going to seek your kingdom first. And in that, yeah, we're going to see breakthrough in our lives. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to be personally revived and changed. But we're coming in to give. Guys, that's ministry to the Lord. It's a radical shift from what often happens in Western Christianity, which is I come in first to receive something. But actually, ministering to the Lord says, I've received so much already. <laughs> My first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to come and I'm going to give. Revelation 4 says the Lamb is worthy to receive all blessing and honor and glory and power. He's worthy to receive. So ministry to God is a church that's set up saying, you are worthy to receive, Lord. I'm actually going to take my eyes off my own life for a moment. I'm not going to make myself center. And you know what's amazing is when you come in and you say, God, I'm going to start, I'm going to make it about you first. Guess what often happens? A lot of the things that weigh me down start getting dealt with. And don't get me wrong, then there, there's a time where God's then going to start speaking back, and now he's going to really start doing things in your life, and we get changed in the process. But there, we've learned that there's this holy cadence. We first come in to minister to him. He ministers back, and from the overflow, then we go out and love our neighbor. Yeah? We're building a first commandment rhythm of life here. We're teaching to come in, love the Lord our God, and then go out and love our neighbor. Really, really simple. <laughs> So I believe God is issuing an invitation, and I believe Isaiah 56 makes it clear, and hear me on this, that everyone in this room is included in that invitation. <laughs> there is not a single person excluded from this. I want to say this again, and I want to be, I pray God would sear your heart with this, that you have something to offer yes. God. Amen. You have something to offer God. Your life blesses God. Your life, you have an ability to move God. You have an ability to bring him joy and pleasure. It's all throughout scripture. You can please God. I want you to know that you have a song that Caesar cannot sing. You have a prayer that Willie cannot pray for you. You have a lifting of your hands. Start there. You have a lifting of your hands. This isn't just empty hype. This is biblical. This isn't a charismatic thing. This isn't just a personality thing. I get it. Our personality will show up in worship. I understand that. But this is a biblical thing. This is a God thing. You were wired to move God's heart. You were made in the image of God with the unique ability to move his heart. And you have a dance. You have a song. You have, a, you have worship. You have prayers. You have words that only you can give. There's a part of God that only you bless. Daniel 7.10, what I read before, thousands upon thousands, an unending picture of angels blessing God, and yet they still can't touch a a part of God's heart that only you can. It's unique. Only you can do it. You lifting your voice. You responding. Hallelujah. Man, sometimes I, I know I don't. I don't always understand the impact that I have on the uncreated God. And that's not boasting and elevating man, but this is, this is where you go and move into maturity and, and find when life is pulling you in all different directions, it's these type of principles that keep you consistent at the feet of Jesus. When you understand how much you impact God. Like we shared this in our prayer room right before Friday night set. Um, I was thinking about this week and it moved me deeply that when the angels fell and rebelled, God did not become an angel. <laughs> but when man rejects the leadership of God and man says, I will be my own God, God becomes a man. <laughs> And God says, I will not let you go that fast. <laughs> Man, what happens when you respond back to this God and say, I'm going to love you, God. I'm going to thank you, God. I'm going to offer up my praise. It really, really touches the heart of God. And no one's disqualified. <laughs> mm. <laughs> some, some, 
listen, I can get, I can, I have to watch this where I'll say, man, because of maybe what's happened in my life, man, some, I just felt like some of you based on your stories and how long you've been there, you feel like I've been relegated to the background of this thing. I'll be at an arm's length with Jesus. This is for you to get up close, but not for me. But I want you to know he wants you to draw near as well. Like Jesus' blood is enough. And that's not just permission to just stay in a place, but I want you to know actually the way you change is not by you trying to white knuckle it, but let his transformative presence touch your life. Come near to him. Come near to him. In John 4, God in the flesh comes to a woman known as a Samaritan woman. Everyone knows this story, right? Many know it. And you know what God says? God comes up to a woman and he says this. This blew my mind. He initiates conversation. He says, give me a drink. God asked this woman, give me a drink. Now, I'm not denying the natural things that are unfolding in this text, but if you actually read that story through, it becomes very clear that water in this story never really has to deal with natural water. Jesus speaks about a well, but really what he's speaking about is he's living water. And in the end, what we find out is what Jesus was really after in this woman's life. He says the Father is seeking and searching for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. I believe when Jesus says, give me a drink, he's not just talking about a natural drink. He says, give me your worship. But I'm a Samaritan woman, and my life is bound in brokenness and, and adultery and all these things. Jesus will deal with those things. He will. In love, he's going to confront. He's going to bring it out because we don't just worship in spirit. We worship in spirit and truth. And he's not just looking for us to put masks on. He's so good, he's going to confront it and heal it. But even this woman, who everyone would have outcast and said, there's no way, he says, the Father, I've come to represent the Father, and he wants your worship too. Like, you might feel like a Samaritan woman. He wants your worship. Brother, he wants your worship. <laughs> he, wants your, he wants your worship. He's brought you here because he wants your worship, and he loves you. Everyone here, you have something to offer God. So we've established a house of prayer to respond to the unyielding, and I believe like the blazing zeal of God, to be close to his bride. That's the house of prayer. It's, it's Jesus' plan. Like th this is what he said his house will be because of what he desires. It's, it's, it's not man's. And again, as I said, there's not about a, it's not about a model, but it's about a people that know that, that that's, what, that's our priority. This is what we gather around. It's to the Lord, for the Lord. It's all about him. Amen. All right, let's go to Luke. I'm going to finish out here, Luke 10. I want to encourage you to track with me. So if you've got your Bible or phone, whatever you have, it's good for you to read this yourself so you can see in the Scriptures yourself because a, a lot of verses we're covering. Luke 10. And I'm going to take us to a very well-known story, <laughs> but it's one that I love, and again, I'm, I just believe freshness on it, and we'll, we'll finish out here. Uh, but it's Luke 10. It's the story of Martha and Mary. And I want to, I want to read this story. Uh, let me put it this way. Martha and Mary are real women, real sisters, but I, I want to come into this story. I feel like God was really just speaking to me on, on their lives being symbols, almost these prophetic pictures of how we can respond and build around the presence of God. Because Jesus will be welcomed into the house, and I believe it's one thing to have him into the house, but then what do we do with the one who's in our midst? Like a lot of times we're like, we're here for you, Lord, and then he comes, and his presence comes, and it's like, what do we do? And we want to move on, but we want to, we want to learn to sit at his feet, and that's a critical thing of being ministers to the Lord. Like we don't want to just be caught up in all of the exterior things. There's a place for that, but... Man, I just feel like so often I've been in that. I mean, I don't know. I just know I'm not alone where you've labored extensively for the Lord. It's Ephesians, uh, Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus. You've labored hard, but you've lost first love, right? And, and man, there's just so many things that can happen. So I want to approach this from this place of seeing these two women as pictures of how to respond to the presence of God in, in his house. And, and I want to be really clear that this is not about Mary versus Martha, because we're called to be servants of all. We're called to labor hard for the kingdom to the point of giving up our life. This isn't about like we don't labor, we don't serve. So I don't want to misunderstand that. But I do believe this is about Mary before Martha. It's not verses, but it's Mary comes first. It's, and she gives this picture of how to be with God, minister to God, receive it 
all that he is back. And then from that, we serve others. From that, we go out. So this is Mary before Martha. And I believe Mary's life shows us what really attracts God and heaven. Like, I want to build something here that attracts God. <laughs> that God says, this is what I like. And I believe Mary and Martha, in many ways, to see it, it's a symbol of choice. Will we build something that attracts him? Or will we build something that actually keeps him at a distance, that loses him? Like, that's, I believe this is actually, although it's a very, it's a beautiful message, it's a strong message. Like, how are we building our lives individually, corporately? Are we building something that draws on God? Are we building something that actually God is distanced from this type of lifestyle? It's busy with a lot of things, but it's missing God at the heart of it. Amen? All right, let's read verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. This is Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So stop there. So Martha is the one who welcomes Jesus into the house. This is this picture I see. <laughs> Martha welcomes Jesus. But I believe, and I'm not just trying to say this so that it sounds nice. I believe there's a real difference between welcoming Jesus and receiving from him. Like, I believe all over this nation, like right now today, there are many places. And I'm putting us right in this. Like, God, check us over and over. But I believe it's one thing to welcome God. We welcome him with opening prayers. Our songs can welcome him. We can put Jesus in big letters on buildings. Uh, we welcome him in all these things, and that's beautiful. But there is a difference between welcoming him and actually learning how to receive from him. Where, where we're actually, we've welcomed him into this place. He's there, as he is in this text. But we've not learned how to actually sit and draw from him. We've actually not learned how to draw near to him and bless him. And I, I really believe, like, a trap is, is that we practice life in front of him, but we've never learned how to draw life from him. So we're busy, like Martha, like Jesus is right in the midst. We're going through all of these things. We've not learned how to draw. Like, the give me a drink that I said before, Jesus is, wants so much more than our religious performance. He wants something so much more than just checking off the right boxes. It's so much deeper as important it is to attend regularly in a community of faith like this and tithe and all these other things. Yeah, those are beautiful things, but it's something deeper than that. Like while we're just fixated on all the externals, God is searching after a deeper reality. And I believe there's reformation coming in the house of God. I really do. I, I see it happen where we're learning how to first be Marys of Bethany. And from that, there's such a power on that. Like Song of Solomon, the pursuit of the bride was so deep that the women, the Shulamite bride, said, tell us about this, this bridegroom, which is Jesus. Why is he so lovely? In other words, she had such a passionate desire for Jesus that it provoked others to say, tell us about him. Like people coming into gatherings and seeing such an offering like this morning that they're actually provoked to say, tell us about this Jesus that you worship and you give your life, not just on a Sunday. Ministry to the Lord, we're speaking about something specific here of worship prayer because it is in the scriptures, but ministry to the Lord is your whole life too. Don't, don't miss that. It's your relationships, it's your work, it's your sexuality, it's all of these things. <laughs> God wants it all and he's worthy of all of it. So Martha welcomes him, but it's Mary who learns how to ultimately receive him. And let's read verse 39 what Mary's doing. Verse 39 says, And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. <laughs> now, I find this amazing. So if you know the story, Martha's going to be quite active, but it's Mary who's learned first to sit. I believe it's when we learn to sit at his feet that we can properly and effectively be his feet. And what's so amazing is that if you look at the other accounts of Mary, she's mentioned, in, the stories are in several gospels, but, but there's really two other stories. John 11 the death of Lazarus, which is her brother. And then Mark 14, she anoints Jesus in Bethany. She anoints him with that expensive jar of perfume. In, in all three stories, Mark 14, John 11, and right here in Luke 10, every single time, do you know where Mary is positioned? At the feet of Jesus. In John 11, when she comes to confront Jesus about her brother dead, she falls at his feet. Mark 14, she's anointing his feet. Here, she's sitting at his feet. Why is this so important? Feet is the lowest place you can go. <laughs> I, I want to share things that can get in the way of why we struggle sometimes to give our lives to a ministry to the Lord, because it is a lowly position. <laughs> it's a low position. 
like in a, in a day and age where there's so much jostling for positions and recognition and being a voice when God really even hasn't commissioned that all the time, then there's Mary who just wants intimacy. And you know what's amazing is that in Mark 14, uh, man, I just got so good. He's reminding on the fly. Mark 14, Jesus says to, to his disciples when they say, what a waste, they say, okay. Jesus says, well, whenever the gospel is preached, share Mary's story. So, so this is amazing. It's these men who will go in the book of Acts to the nations. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, when you go into the nations and you share the gospel, and when someone says, tell me what a transformed life looks like that has encountered the presence of God, tell Mary's story. Tell how Mary was found at my feet. The one who prioritized intimacy actually exceeded an influence. <laughs> these aren't mutually exclusive. I believe Christians should have great influence, but we do not idolize influence over intimacy. It's ministry at his feet first. And the irony of it all, to what I just said, is that the one who went lowest actually touched heaven itself. <laughs> like Jesus is heaven. <laughs> the one who went low touched heaven. The one who was out there missed it. Is it you know, I hope this is connecting. <laughs> this is when we minister to the Lord, I want you to see his position of we're coming at the feet of Jesus. And it may feel lowly and feel like the eye of man is not honest because it's not. But guess what? You're encountering the Lord. <laughs> You're touching heaven. And there's no greater reward than that. Verse 40. Here's Martha now. Verse 40 says, But Martha was distracted, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. <laughs> um, there, there's so many principles that can come forth in this, but I don't want to move off of our main topic. But I will say this, that I've experienced this in my life, that when my work for the Lord, which we all have one, doesn't need to look like this, your marketplace job, your home life, that's, that's your ministry. But when our work, our ministry that God has given us becomes our primary reward, it is so easy to always feel slighted, cheated, overlooked, unappreciated. But Mary would not feel that because when, you're, when Jesus himself is your greatest reward, when his words are your greatest reward, you, you'll never feel cheated. <laughs> like when, when, because Mary doesn't feel cheated because she's receiving what she's after. Martha, uh, there's a lady, Martha Kilpatrick, who wrote a book called Adoration, all on Mary's life that's fascinating. I want to read a, a scripture, um, a verse that she shared. Or I'm sorry, really it's a quote from this verse. She says this, so powerful. Work is humanity's measure of a person's worth. Man is weighed on the scale of productivity, and the more he slaves, the more significant he is reckoned. The more he can be a martyr to a labor, the more sympathy or admiration he gains, and that brief attention is his final wage. Wow. Then she says, Martha's work was meant to gain acclaim and earn Jesus's attention. She was buying his admiration, paying for his love, but he was not for sale, and she felt cheated. Isn't that amazing? Have you been in there? I know I have. Busy working for the Lord, and then feeling like Jesus isn't appreciating me enough. <laughs> but, but, but really, when that happens, we miss this. I feel like, God, why don't you give this? But when your reward is his words, and that's what he's giving in his presence, that never happens. Man. More to say in that, believe it. I, I believe verse 40, what you see is Martha, Martha, a lot of times Mary can be pictured as being lazy. <laughs> Again, actually, I think worshipers will always outwork workers. I believe that. The others will eventually get burnt out or have unhealthy motives. But a worshiper, there's something that drives them. It's love for the Lord, not just duty. But I want, I want you to know this. But I, I, I was sitting on this, and Martha had a work. But let me be really clear, so did Mary. And this is why I think in my own life I've experienced such resistance to this type of ministry because not because it's so easy because actually it's a really hard labor. See, Martha's work is an important work to serve like that and meet the needs of man. But what I found is that type of activity is seen. It's visible. You can be recognized. You can receive promotions. You can receive titles in that type of work. You can receive things that stroke ego. When there's praise for breakthrough, our life is a little bit connected to it because we were a part of it. And deep down, those things can actually fuel the motivation for those that, that happening. But Martha also, uh, Mary also worked, but her work was not a work of increase. It was a work of decrease. 
For to minister to the Lord is a labor, but is a labor unto self-death. To truly sit at the feet of Jesus and to come in and say, God, I'm going to connect my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, and make it about you, and now I'm not the center of my story? Ah, that is a labor, guys. That is a loss of all dependency and acknowledgement of me and saying it's really about you. And I believe that face-to-face encounters with God is some of the hardest, and I don't mean like strenuous, but it's just, man, it just has so much that gets confronted in that. And I really believe sometimes it's easier to jump out into all the other things because in that place of just you and the Lord as a people in that, in that office like we do, there's a, there's a slow death. <laughs> there's like, God, there, there's, no, there's no promotion here. There's no man saying nice job. This is like, can I really live for your eye and your heart? All right, and then it says this, verse 41. But the Lord answered her. But the Lord answered her. Are you ready? It says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I think this is so important to hear because I want you to hear Jesus' diagnosis of Martha. Because Jesus here does not, he doesn't at all recognize like, hey, you've been really uh, productive. He doesn't mention that she's being really responsible. Uh, He doesn't give even the slightest hint that he's impressed at all. This is not condemning. He loves Martha. But what I want you to see is that a lot of times I have a tendency to defend things in Martha that Jesus outright condemns. And probably I do that because subconsciously I want to defend those same tendencies in my own heart. That somehow, even though I'm not connecting with him in the way that he desires, all of my labor will make up for it. But that's not what Jesus says. His one response to it is that, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. That's his diagnosis to a life that's lived like this, that never learns how to be before him. Guys, I don't want to get before the Lord (laughs) and find out, man, I missed that. And we're not. We're building. This is what we're laboring unto, to build a house that is not, as Martha is, troubled and anxious about many things. But what Jesus says here in verse 42 to Mary, this is what marks us. But one thing is necessary, he says. So Martha You're troubled and anxious about many things, but Mary has chosen and given herself to one thing that is necessary. And one thing does not mean only thing, but it does mean chief thing. It means the preeminent thing. It means the thing that when life squeezes on us, other things go, but not the one thing. David said in Psalm 27.4, one thing I've asked, one thing I long for, that all the days of my life, in every season, Not just when I feel good, not just when I have an abundance of time. No, every season, my one thing is to dwell in your house and behold your beauty. David was a king with far more responsibilities than I will ever have. And he tended to those things, but he made sure that the one thing was to be before the Lord beholding his beauty. We choose the one thing over the many things. (laughs) He is our one thing. If you want to know what's the foundational mark of the house of prayer, It's that this is the one thing that gives life to every other thing. So he says, but one thing is necessary, and I love this. Mary has chosen the good portion. Good portion actually can be translated the better thing. The one thing is the better thing. That's Jesus' words. (laughs) He says this is better. Actually, he says it will not be taken away from her. That's what he says next. Do you know there's many things in life that can be shaken and taken? Actually, all things. In all things we borrow, even our relationships, even my marriage, everything. It's like, I only have a season of that. And man knows that. So like we try to do our best to hoard and keep and say, mine, don't touch, because we know everything is so fragile. We need a rock in our life. We need something that's stable, that's not, can't be touched by injustices. There's only one thing that is that, that is Jesus. It is the one thing Jesus says that will not be taken from her. You can prioritize everything else, houses, material things, and they can be gone in a second. But Jesus says about Mary, she's chosen the one thing that can never be taken. There's only one thing that cannot be shaken, the king and his kingdom. The one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better thing, the good portion. Guys, hear me on this. This is so important. Jesus provides a clear picture of what delineates between Mary and Martha. And it's not difficult. It's not complex. Like, I would think, man, this must be a really hard thing to grasp, what's separating the two. It's not this deeply spiritual thing in the sense that, like, it's, you can't understand it. 
It's also not that Mary is just wired differently. Do you hear me on that? <laughs> the difference between Mary and Martha is not that God created Mary this way and too bad for you, Martha. Martha's not a victim here. What's actually did Jesus say? He says, you want to know what separates the two? Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary made a choice. What he's really saying is, Martha, you also had a choice. <laughs> Amid a myriad of possibilities and things that could take up your time, Mary said, I'm going to choose to make him as the treasure of my life. We all have a choice, amen? <laughs> In this house, what we're saying is, as a house of prayer to minister God, we choose to prioritize you, Lord. We choose to treasure you above all else. We choose you as the one thing, God. Much more you could say on those things. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up, please. So again, family talk number two, a little different. But these are these important things to cover as we grow as a house. Next week we'll talk about how the presence of the Lord personally changes as we behold him we're ever changing by what we're beholding everyone is worshiping something <laughs> you could say someone's non-religious that's true but no one uh, or irreligious but but no one uh everyone worships something even if you don't attend church the question is what are you worshiping and what you worship is what you ultimately become as the scriptures say what what you behold is what you become and we'll look at that next week um, but i really want us to be set as a house as we go in this new year does this help? Does this bring clarity as to like what it means to minister to the Lord? So if, if you're able, let, let's, let's stand together. We're going to close here. I felt led to, um, if you've got children, in just a moment, you can grab children. Let them be a part of this. Let them, even if they're talking and being kids, let them just see people responding to God. Let them grow up in the presence of the Lord. Um, but I just felt like give it a minute to really close out with us just blessing God and you can come forward if you want. If We can have the prayer team come up as well. If you want specific prayer, you can just come and just bless the Lord. But I want to minister to his heart before we leave. But I want, I want, to, I want to just close with this. This kind of goes where we're going to go next week, but I feel led to say it right now. I believe that Mary chose what she chose. Not simply because Mary was really, really wise. And hear what I mean by that. I don't believe Mary was just making a noble decision, but I believe Mary is making a choice because she's aware of her internal poverty. In other words, Mary chooses because she's aware of her need. And in the beginning, in Eden, when man sins and is separated, God allowed man to choose independence from him, but God has never released us from our need for him. Every person in this room needs God. And I don't just mean to live around God, but you actually need to hear his voice. You need to feel his touch by the Spirit. You were made for this. And thank God in his grace, he's kept that need which actually drives us back when we begin to drift. That can only last for so long until we recognize I'm thirsty. I live in a dry and weary land and I need living water again. And I want you to know that we gather in the house of prayer morning and night it's blessing God, but also we do it because we need it. <laughs> I need him. <laughs> I gather morning and night with the Lord because I need him. I'm aware of my bankruptcy without him. I'm aware that my hunger, like he's my sustenance. He's my existence. Like we're not ashamed of our dire want for God. <laughs> we gather around him because we need him. We want him. God, we can't go through life without you. And that isn't just a choice of before Christ. I don't know if I share this or not, but it's, it's on my mind right now. Like, our need for Jesus wasn't just a BC thing. <laughs> Come on, I feel like the religious spirit can fall on that sometimes. Like, oh man, I remember the days before Christ when I really needed him. I was broken, but I'm good now. Now it's, it's me and Jesus. No, no, no. We never move from that. It's David's cry of not just save me, but preserve me, O oh God, which means keep me, sustain me. Day by day, I need your voice. Why do we do it? Why are we so adamant? Because we as a house need the presence of God. We need him. I need him individually, but I need him around you. We need this corporately, guys. There's an invitation not just to do this. We're not just isolated islands, but we are a corporate family. Yes? 
What's the power of corporate? The power of corporate is the revelation that me and you by ourselves do not have enough to get to make it through. <laughs> that not only do I need God, I really do need you. And you really do need me. Like I need to see you pacing around sometimes because God's presence is touching you. <laughs> I need to hear your prayers when I feel dry and I see God awakening and a groan in you and it does something to me. I need to see you lifting your hands. I need to see you falling on your knees. I need to see you dancing before the Lord, someone stepping out and saying, man, God, I got to get out of my comfort zone here. Come on, you've been there. When someone does that, it breaks something open in the room. We need each other. What would it look like for this year to be more than ever a house that's marked by corporate gatherings? These holy convocations of God's saints gathering in this place. Fasting, worship, prayer, crying out to God, blessing His name and His presence resting on a people. It's revival. <laughs> so Lord, I just pray even now that you would awaken things in our hearts, God. God, I pray for those that just feel still on the outside, God. Lord, we just declared, I pray for hearts that are stubborn in it, Lord, that they would be softened, God, that you, they would see that you've called them into this, God, and you've called them to be a part of it, not just for this ministry, God, because their, their life matters to you, Lord. Oh, awaken it more than ever this year, God. Lord, that in this house, you would be blessed, you would be loved, you would be ministered to, you would be glorified. I pray, God, that in this, dead hearts would come alive. I pray callings would come alive. Ministry passions would come alive. Divine blueprints and strategy, God. I pray that when we minister to the lost and evangelize, God, we would release words of life because we've received them right from your heart, God. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.